Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Ginger C., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Colorado. Today is Monday, December 11th, and today we are reading from the big book. We're on page one in Bill's story. We'll be reading the first paragraph, War Fever Ran High, through three paragraphs ending, which I failed to heed. Today's readers for the 12 Steps, Stacey T., the 12 Traditions, Mary Ellen B., and our readers from the text, Christine M., Ashley P., and Kathleen O. The reference numbers for yesterday's Sunday, December 10th special edition titled A Prayed and Measured Life is 10,000. 774. Again, that's 10774. And this morning's 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting is 10,783. Again, the number is 10783. The OA preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a vision for you big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Stacy T. to read the 12 steps. Good morning. Thank you, Ginger, for your service. This is Stacy T. calling from Cleveland, Ohio. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and, when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. 
Thanks for letting me do service. I pass. And thank you, Stacey T., for your service. And now I will ask Mary Ellen B. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. This is Mary Ellen B. in Florida, recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group consciousness. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Mary Ellen Anonymous. B. Oh. Hello? We lost you for a minute, but you're back. Thank you. Okay. Um, Well, I'll go back to seven. I'm not sure where I left off here, but thank you. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever nonprofessional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such should never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I'll pass. And thank you for your service, Mary Ellen B. So how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, and then we stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. And to share, press star one to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we resume 
the big book. We're in Bill's story. We're on page one. We'll be starting with the first paragraph, War Fever ran high through three paragraphs, ending which I failed to heed. And I will now ask Christine M. to begin the reading. Yes. Hello, everyone. My name is Christine M. Recovered in Missouri. Um, War fever ran high in the New England town to which we knew. Young officers from Plattsburgh were assigned, and we were flattered when the first citizens took us to their homes, making us feel heroic. Here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals hilarious. I was part of life at last, and in the midst of the excitement, I discovered liquor. I forgot the strong warnings and the prejudices of my people concerning drink. In time, we sailed for over there. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. We landed in England. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Much moved, I wandered outside. My attention was caught by a doggerel on an old tombstone. Here lies a Hampshire grenadier who caught his best drinking cold small beer. A good soldier is near forgot whether he died by musket or by pot. Ominous warning, which I failed to heed. So, um, first of all, I'm so grateful that this story is in the big book because it helps me to identify in. And I know um, when I first got here, um, I was looking for reasons to identify out. And um, I would think to myself, well, I'm not a stockbroker and, you know, I'm not a man and all those things. Um, But once I got to the point where I was willing to go to any lengths and I was willing to to listen and to um, identify in, you know, I I am able to identify in with the fact that, um, like, his ego and the warnings, you know, his, the way, in the progression of the disease, I'm, I'm able to identify in with all those things, you know. And um, I was taught that, um, you know, I have to um, ask myself, did I think like Bill thought? Did I eat like Bill drank? Did I feel like Bill felt, you know? So, um so that's what, for me, that's what, you know, um, I have to do. And then it talks about ominous warning. And I looked up ominous and it said threatening. And um, I know, so threatening warning, which I failed to heed. I know for me, um, there were many threatening warnings. And um, I just either couldn't see it or I didn't want to see it. And I would just eat at it. Um, and it talks about the the warnings and the prejudice of his people concerning drink, you know. and um, I was warned um, by doctors, by family members and things like that, that maybe you're getting a little too heavy, um, you know, maybe there's something wrong. And I just used to get really defensive and uh, wasn't ready to hear it um, until I was able to see it for myself. So um, I'm just really grateful that, you know, that Bill shared his experience and that, you know, throughout the story, going to be able to see the progression of um, his disease and the um, the fact that, you know, he thought he could do it on his own and the many vain attempts that he had to do it on his own, um, uh, but failed until he was ready to see it himself. Thanks. That's all I have. Great. Thank you so much, Christine M., for your service. So again, we are studying what the big book means to us. We're on page one in Bill's story. We just read the first paragraph, War Fever Ran High. We went through three paragraphs ending, which I failed to heed. 
And now, of course, this is the funnest part for the moderator. So I would just ask you kindly to say your name once, as I'll have a better chance of hearing it. And who would like to begin the sharing this morning? Marin K. Anita J. Kelly C. Marin K. Okay, so who I've heard so far, I believe I have Marin K, Anita J, Wendy M, Penny C. Did I miss anyone? Uh, Kelly Kelly T, no, Kelly C. T with as, as in Tom? No, Kelly. I'm sorry, could you repeat that one more time? I'm having... Kelly T. And what was the first initial of the your first name? K. Kenny. Okay, so Kenny T. Did I get that? Kelly. Kelly. K E L L Y. Carrie. Carrie T. Now did I get it? <laughs> no. K E L L Y. Oh my goodness! I am having a Monday. Kelly T, K-E-L-L-Y. Yay, perseverance, we got it. Thank you. Okay, who would like to be after Kelly T? Melanie C. Melanie C. And Ashley P. So we're going to stop with that lineup, and we'll begin with Marin K. Good morning. Hi, everybody. Thank you, Melanie, for chairing the meeting. Um, Bill's story is a great story because it totally describes me and my eating disorder, how over and over again trying to stop and not being able to stop. This part about here was love, applause, war, moments sublime with intervals, hilarious. I was a part of life at last. At the time of my eating disorder, I believe I had been an actor and I um, really thought that I was doing great and that I could keep up my disease and do really well. And I did do my disease through most of the work I did in film and TV. I did keep my disease. But um, there was an ominous warning. I was on location, and somebody told me to go to do the 20 questions, whatever. And I lost jobs. I finally lost my career and lost everything and had to be hospitalized for my eating disorder. But... I really believe that I I was a leader and had and had a, had so much going on that was great about what was happening in my life, and um, Bill really felt I think as it says in the big book in the beginning like he was excited about everything, and that's how I felt when I had my eating disorder and it was working. Um, I thought like. Uh, no one knew about my bulimia. No one could really tell about my anorexia because I kind of hid it. But I knew, and I think Bill knows, too, that he has a problem, but he he isn't ready to give it up yet. And that was my story, too, as we will later read the book. But um, I just want to thank everybody on the phones. You're very helpful to me. I don't drive, and I don't get to meetings as much as I'd like to, so... I'm writing everything you say in my big book, and I've got my highlighters out, and it's just a really great thing. So 
Yes, and someone said I went to I went to rehab. I I went to Karen Carpenter's doctor. I was told over and over again that I needed help, and I just refused to get help until the very end and the bottom when I was committed for six months in a county hospital because I was a danger to myself and others for my eating disorder. So that's where I went to my bottom, but it didn't stop me. Even that didn't stop me. So thank you guys. Love you. And I will hear more from you so I can write it in my big book. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Marin K. So next up is Anita J. followed by Wendy M. Good morning, Anita. Thank you very much. You're not Melanie, though, are you? I'm Ginger C. Yeah, Ginger C. Thank you for your service. I know firsthand sometimes it's hard to get those names. But I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive reader out out in Massachusetts. And I do love this ominous warning now. I love the word ominous warning. But I was reading this big book way back in 1978. And even though they said, all right, put, put Sarah Lee down instead of alcohol, you know, put Baskin Robbins, put something. It didn't fool me. Didn't fool me because this was should have been my mother's book, and I was so invested in thinking like that, I couldn't see the connection. Can you believe all these years until the format of Vision for You, suddenly that doctor's opinion went all the way deep, deep, as deep as you can get into Manita, and I knew I can't have one. And it was just incredible. And then I saw my ominous warning had been on my honeymoon in Washington, D.C. at a lovely French restaurant when the waiter said, Madame will get fat if she continues to eat like this. Never saw it. Never saw it. I also had an ominous warning within me, but of course I would never have seen it. And that was when I first met my husband. After he gave me the ring, we went out to eat and I finished mine. And he was so starry-eyed, he wasn't touching his food. And I actually had the nerve to say, are you going to eat that? And I took some more of it. The point is, these warnings, until I was ready, I couldn't hear them at all. And I'm just so grateful that I finally was ready and that somebody said I needed a sponsor. And they said, I'll sponsor you, but you need to listen to this phone meeting. And you know what, folks? That is almost going to be four years ago, and my life changed. It's never too late. That's all I can tell you. And um, that's it. Thank you so much. I pass. Thank you, Anita J. Next up is Wendy M. Followed by Kelly T. Wendy. Yes. Good morning. Yes. Hi. It's Wendy M. Recovered here in Boulder, Colorado, and um, I thank God for the abstinence I have this morning. It is truly a gift. And Ginger, thank you so much for your service today, and everybody on the line. So. Um, so much happens for me when I read Bill's story. And the first many times, I was just like irritable and discontent. I was so upset with Bill. Um, and the reason why is because his grandiosity 
um, as I judged him for being grandiose, um, just really triggered me, you know. And then on the fifth or sixth reading of this, I don't know when it was, I said, oh, my God, that's me. Oh, no, I'm identifying in. I also am so grandiose. I'm bigger than life, right? And he says here, he says he's, he, he, uh, they were flattered, like his language is so big. And, um, and then it says, made us feel heroic. But the, the words that really, really jumped out were love, applause, right? So applause is my oxygen. And I would say I don't need as much applause today, and that's recovery for me. Um, and, you know, and then this word love, you know, um, and, and just that his happiness depends on, or my happiness depends on you loving me and you applauding me, right? I'm only as good as the last applause that I got. And, um, and, and I love the beauty of the program is that I can look at this and go, oh, my God, you know, if I spotted, I got it, right? Like, I totally identify with this guy. Um, and then the irony, I have to say, is that he wanted to feel heroic. He wanted to be, you know, the head of vast enterprises. Well, it turns out, you know, he started a vast enterprise. And the irony is that he, he created this incredible movement, one of the most important movements of the 20th century, Going into the 21st century, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous. That's so ironic there. I love that. Um, and then um, the other piece I wanted to say is this whole issue of ominous warnings. I love that. You know, if people were going to comment on me or my body before I got through this program, I did not want to hear it. My eyes were closed. My ears were closed. Do not talk to me. Do not, do not mention my body size. You know, I didn't want to know. I still wanted to live. In a lot of what this first paragraph is about, which is this um, complete fantasy world, you know, just fantasy after fantasy, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to get on a scale. I didn't want you to tell me anything. Don't show me a book. Don't talk to me about that. I didn't want to heed anything. Um, I wasn't ready. I was terrified. Um, And then just this last piece that, you know, he's up and everything's hilarious, life at last, and then he speaks. You know, this deep sense of wanting to belong to life at last. And the only thing that made sense to me is the first time I felt I belonged to anything in terms of part of life at last was when I hit my, my first meeting 17 years ago in Los Angeles on a Friday night. That's when I felt part of life at last. This deep connection, sense of belonging, not just to the fellows in the program, but obviously I was home. Right, And when I started this program, the vision for you, I got God when I got entirely abstinent. God just arrived immediately, um, and I was finally part of something, and that was being part of God and part of all of you, and um, there's nothing like it. So if you're struggling, entire abstinence is way more easy than being in the food. I promise you. I'm happy to talk about it. Wendy M. in Boulder, Colorado. Thanks so much, and with that, I pass. And thank you, Wendy M. So next we have Kelly T. followed by Melanie C. Kelly? Hello, everyone. My name is Kelly T. Can you hear me? I sure can. Thank you. Um, I really love um, Bill's story. I I remember the first time I read it, when I first started OA, and I was like, what does this have to do with me? Like, I never went to war. I'll never do any of this. Like, I didn't get the the purpose of it because I was so clouded in the food. And um, I had to really hit that bottom. And it's like, he, he 
he had to hit a lot of bottom. And in here, he's he's eating because he's happy. He's eating because he's lonely. I remember so many times I I didn't really have friends growing up. So I would do is go to the food. That was my best friend. Like for him, liquor was his best friend. Um, he never felt lonely when he had to drink while he was drinking. But later on, of course, he was lonely again. Um, this vicious, um, cunning disease that, oh, if, if you have that, you're going to be complete. But it is never enough. Once you have that first drink, that first bite, it, you always kind of crave more because you you're looking for something in the in the in the symptom um, that you're never gonna find in there. And I really I also like the um, the warnings he was always getting. Um, when I finally um, got hired in the city, I I started off fine and. Um, the the work was so overwhelming. Instead of listening to my um, supervisor at that time, um, she warned me, Kelly, take some time off, and I wouldn't listen to her. She warned me about my food, and she knew about my and uh, my binging, the purging, and she tried to warn me, but I kept going down. I kept because it, I couldn't stop, and um, to the point where she had to um, put me on. Um, she had to give me a week and a day of absence f- for me to have that time to get it together. And she didn't do. And she she could have uh, fired me, but she she saw in me that hardworking person before, and she gave me opportunity to, you know. But when I came back, I was still in the food. It wasn't as bad, but I was still in the food, you know. And this thing that that you really had to hit that bottom, because if you don't hit that bottom, you're still gonna be back in the food and eating, eating. Until you, you know, until you find a higher power, and I'll pass. Thank you. And thank you, Kelly T. Uh, next up is Melanie C. Followed by Ashley P. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, Ginger C. Uh, my name is Melanie C. And I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I'm calling in from Oregon. And um, I, again, like you all are doing here, is is finding my place, my Bill's story, and what he's talking about here. I don't know exactly how old he was when he went into this place in his life, but not very old. And he found a place that was safe. And so the way I look at it is that he moved away from maybe the things that tied him down, his family, the life that was there. So it's a new Monday. It's a new beginning. It's a new month. It's a new thing. And he found it exciting on his own to be able to feel and sense like I did. I am free at last to be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And then the recognition came on and that was my drive from that point forward. But I had some warnings along the way and I can pinpoint those now. And I think that came from the clarity of the steps working on this disease, finding this higher power. I had um, a warning at age seven when I went on my first diet and, and took a hard boiled egg in a brown paper bag to lunch as a second grader. And I was shamed. I was shamed during that time. That was a warning of something that I didn't ever want to feel again. Never wanted to feel that again. And then again at 12, um, everybody else in my class was about, you know, 70 pounds or so. I popped up on that scale and I was 111. That's in the days when everybody had to weigh together for these presidential health things in in the gymnasium. And we had all these health things to go through and everybody saw that. I was embarrassed and ashamed, a warning of some sort. But the last one that came that I can remember was 16. That was the loudest 
that I'd ever heard very clearly in my consciousness. And that was, if you don't get a handle on this, you never will. This is getting to be so serious. You're not going to get to be able to stop. This is a habit. This is what I told myself at 16. That's pretty, pretty interesting thought to have at 16 years old. And then from that point forward, it darkened. It darkened on me. I didn't hear those things anymore. I heard nothing more. I had feelings on the inside, but I heard nothing no more. And those feelings parlayed into, into diets, into the next day, into the next this. It just had me. And I was on that cycle, that vicious cycle of, of chasing a thrill, chasing a thrill because nothing felt better than that and something inside me felt worse than anything else. And all the time, I just it just checked in. This darkness checked in and off I was on this idea that, that I had to find the same thrill. And then, and then same thing that Bill's talking about here with this, with this warning. I stopped listening, stopped hearing, and became what I call in my life a continual blackout drunk. With food, absolutely. How come I know that? Because with entire abstinence, I have a thought process, a, an ability to learn from mistakes, not repeating things necessarily over and over and over again that I never had before. And I was awakened somewhere sometime in this process. There was a snap, this crack, this pop that, that, that clicked open my eyes, my, the light in my brain, like a light switch that I'd never had before. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I had to press into a power greater than me if I was ever going to keep that sort of thing in line with my soul, my heart, my integrity and wipe away the shame, the guilt, and the remorse. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Melanie C. So we'll round out this first group with Ashley P. Hi, this is Ashley P. Recovered in Northern California. Can I be heard? You can. Okay. Uh, good morning, everybody. Good morning, Ginger, and thank you for your service. Um, I really like everything that I've, that I've heard on the line today, and I don't know that I have a ton to say, but it's that different that um, Mr. to chime in as well. Uh, I received a, a really great outreach call the other day asking me Ashley, I hate to interrupt you, but you're just distant in the background. I don't know if you're on a speaker, but um, we're just having a hard time hearing you. Okay, hold on. Is this better? Oh, much better. Thank you so much. Okay. Yeah, no, thank you for telling me. I wouldn't have known that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, I got this really great outreach call and, and I was able to, to answer how Bill's story had helped help me and, and what I had learned from it. And, um, it's just kind of what a lot of the, um, other shares today have said, how do I relate to this story? Do I think like Bill thinks, do I eat like Bill eats? Do I feel the way that Bill feels. And when I first read this story, even in abstinence, even with my sponsor, um, like the doctor's opinion was really exciting to me. Um, We agnostics was really exciting to me. I felt like I could really relate. I remember crying and crying when I read um, those pages, but I found Bill's story still really hard 
to read. And what I understand now about that is that's just my disease getting me to identify out. Um, that Bill's story asks me to identify in, and my disease wants me to find the differences. So when I say I, I can't understand because Bill is talking about alcoholism or I can't understand because he's a man or I can't understand because this was so long ago um, or, or it's about war, those are all the ways that my disease is trying to get me to, to not see how I'm like Bill and then not be able to do what Bill did, which was work the steps and, and get recovery. So if I take this literally sentence by sentence and line by line, um, it's much more easy for me to break down and then I really identify in. Um, and so the sentence that really stood out to me this morning is I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. So I don't want to be uncomfortable in my life and, and loneliness is is discomfort. And when I feel emotions like loneliness, um, sadness, uh, anxiety, my immediate thought is to do something that will comfort that. And, and for me, that's food and, and other substances as well. Um, and what, what these, this book and these steps ask me to do is instead turn to God with them. Um, so, uh, as long as I, ha as long as I, when I was in my disease, as long as I turned to the food and, and other substances and higher powered other things to, to get rid of that feeling, um, I kept making the same mistakes. But when I, when I work these steps, do something different and, and give these feelings and this discomfort to God, um, I have a chance. And so, um, yeah, so with that, I pass. And, and thanks for, for telling me I couldn't be here, Ginger. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for sharing, Ashley P. And uh, we are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. So we are on page one today. We're in Bill's story. We're on the first paragraph, War Fever Ran High, and we read through three paragraphs, ending which I failed to heed. And just a gentle reminder to please say your, say your name one time as I have a better chance of hearing it. And who would like to start the second half? Stacy, Michelle M. Terry KB. Millie D. Kathleen Elaine O. D. Paula D. Michelle okay. M. So I heard a Stacy, a Michelle, I believe a Lisa, a Sherry KB, and a Paula D. Elaine B. Elaine B. Barbara E. All right, we're going to stop with that lineup. So I hope I got it right. Um, again, I have Stacy, Michelle M, Elisa, Sherry KB, Paula D, Elaine B, and a Barbara E. So Stacy, I apologize. I didn't get your first initial to your last name. If you could state that when you start, that would be great. And we'll let you begin. Sure. Thank you. This is Stacy T calling from Cleveland, Ohio. I'm assuming I can be heard. Yes. 
Oh, you sure can. If if you'd be kind enough to time me. I sure will. As we start again, as I start again, um, reading Bill's story, the words um, lonely and ominous warning uh, stand out to me. And I have been really lonely throughout different parts of my life and have sought food and other things to try to fill the hole in my soul. And it worked um, until it didn't, and the consequences kept piling on. And the ominous warning was in third grade when I was unable to not go through a packet of lifesavers that had been given out at our elementary school uh, for Valentine's Day swap. And I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't know what. I'm now 61 and a half years old, and I uh, didn't heed the ominous warning. And today, I have released 97 pounds. And it is only because I have heeded the ominous warning through a vision for you in particular, though I've been in and out of the rooms of OA since 1989, I didn't realize that um, I didn't care. Um, well, that's none of that's true. I cared very much <laughs> that um, doctors, dietitians, they all had suggestions and plans, and I earnestly tried to follow them, um, all the while being filled with self and feelings of self-pity, shame, guilt, and remorse, still thinking that I uh, could do this on my own, not really getting the um, fatal nature of my disease. And what has been so illuminated for me um, through study of the big book is the ominous warning is if I don't keep doing the step work to the best of my ability, I know exactly where I will be. And that frightens me. And I'm grateful for this day that I am clear that this warning um, is red. It's, it's just red. And I'm so grateful to be a part of this meeting and the 7 a.m. meeting that I attend and for all of you and for the experience, strength, and hope. And I pray for all of our continued uh, journey. And thank you for uh, allowing me to share. And I pass. And thank you, Stacey T. Next, we have Michelle M. followed by Lisa. And Lisa, if you could give your first initial to your last name when you step up, that would be great. So good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Ginger. Thank you for your service. Can I be heard? You can. Okay. What I was thinking about today as I listened to Bill's story again is he's writing the truth because that's what my sponsor has asked me to do, to write the truth about my story. And he's, I never wanted to out myself. My body outed myself all the time. 
the world noted that I couldn't take care of life without putting food in it, but I was so afraid that someone else might notice that. And I'm sure that as an alcoholic in the grips of his disease, the world can tell something's wrong with a yellow (laughs) shivered body, uh, just the same. But the truth it takes to write a book, to write his own pain out in public, I'm very amazed with, and I'm very grateful because it has taught me how to do that myself. And I um, can also identify with the loneliness that he speaks to. I never felt I belonged anywhere. I was outside my family. I was outside the world. And I was just this little head walking around trying to find food to stuff in it to feel comfortable in the world. And I don't have to do that anymore because I found my tribe. And I'd like to thank my tribe for teaching me how to be healed and to find a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you, Michelle. Um, And next is Lisa, followed by Sherry KB. And Lisa, if you'll give us your last initial to your name. And I may have been hearing things, too. Is there a Lisa that wanted to share? Okay, so we'll roll on to Sherry KB. Good morning, Jen, Sarah. Good morning, everybody. Sherry KB in Northern California, grateful recovered compulsive reader. Uh, thank you for your service, Ginger, and everybody on the line, and welcome newcomers. And it's really neat to be in Bill's story again. Um, you know, a lot of people have talked about identifying in, and what what comes to mind to me is looking for the similarities rather than the differences, because the differences will keep me out of this, um, out of these rooms, and into my disease. So um, I, I look for similarities rather than the differences. And um, you know, here's strong warnings here. Um, and but before that, he's talked about a part of life at last and in a mist of excitement and discovered liquor. And what I did is I discovered a way to eat for a while that I could starve and then bend and eat what I wanted. So I thought I, I could do that and look like you. Um, and so I thought I had arrived. Um, but then, you know, the disease would start kicking in and I would start feeling lonely and I would turn to the food again and I would bend. Um, that really strikes me a lot because I didn't know I was so uncomfortable in my own skin because before I could even have a feeling, I was in there binging my brains out. I was either starving or binging. Um, and, you know, here it was, he was celebrating his, his him being a hero. Um, and what I did is I celebrated with um, being thin. Uh, I, I, you know, for a long time I couldn't identify in about celebrating with the food but I realized that's what I did do um, on occasions to um, get what I wanted as far as the sugar. And also the, the sad part to me, the warning was, is food was a celebration at one time in my life, but then it became a, com- a companion. And um, that's where it really took me down when it became my companion to, com- you know, isolation and all of that and the loneliness and despair that I was, I was feeling um, through doing this kind of behavior. Um, and I was warned about this. And here it's talking about in the first paragraph, strong warnings, and, this, and at the bottom is ominous warning. And, um, you know, here it's, it's talking about the ego as well. I mean, here I was, I thought I had arrived by I'd figured something out here about my food and weight. And yet, um, and that was my ego thinking I knew I could do this. Um, and it talks here about his ego, about how he was at, uh, he would be at vast enterprises, and he would manage the utter, uttermost insurance. And, you know, I had this false sense of um, 
I don't know, power or something, uh, when I had I thought I had the food under control, um, which I never did, which it was a false sense. It was a lot of denial. And uh, so, you know, I could definitely identify in with the, the ego and the, the not enough good enough um, at the same time that he did. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, and, and the loneliness, uh, definitely, and despair. And with that, I pass. Thank you. And thank you so much, Sherry KB. So we have about six minutes till the end of the meeting, and we have three uh, three yet to go. So if you each could take two minutes with your shares, we'll be able to listen from each of you. And next up is Paula D, followed by Elaine B. Thank you. Thank you for your service today. And I will keep it at two minutes. This would be Paula D, recovered by and with the grace of God. And... Uh, let me look. Okay, I've got it as far as the timing. And I finally got this, too, as far as the reading. And it says here, and I loved it, when we were flattered, oh, Vigo, we were flattered when the first citizens took us into their home, making us feel heroic. Always that feeling, running after, chasing after that feeling. Oh, you can't do it alone? Oh, do it with a bite. Do it with a drink. Here was love applause. Oh, those were the great moments. I was part of life. Isn't that what we were trying to attain, to be part of life? But see, it was never big enough for it needed more. It needed more, as with the food and the drink, be it a drug. I was part of life at, at last. And in the midst of the excitement, in the midst of it, I discovered liquor it was waiting. But I want to go on because I have very little time, not very little, enough time. Over there, I was lonely. Now look at what happened. Life happened. Sometimes you're happy and sometimes you're not. That's like the carousel that goes round and round. I was very lonely and again turned to alcohol. And here I want to end. I visited Winchester Cathedral. Huge, beautiful, beautiful. Much moved. Much moved. Something moved him there. But he didn't stay. No. I wandered outside. And that's what I did. So many times I wandered away from what I knew, truth. And then I'm going to end here and happily wait for the next. So there I do pass. And thank you, Paula D. Next is Elaine B. followed by Barbara E. Elaine B. Thank you very much, Ginger, for your service and everybody on the line. Great shares today. So this book we're reading is the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. And we started reading the foreword, how this fellowship has grown. Then we read about the doctor's opinion, where we learn about the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, and that medical um, we're beyond the help of medical aid, that we need something more that they aren't able to offer, which is a spiritual solution. So the, why are we in Bill's story? Aren't we just going to get to the solution? No, this is the power of story. This is the power of the story of every recovered person that has power. It has depth and weight. So he goes in. He, we're just beginning to hear his story. And he's already talked about, you know, ooh, you know, ominous warning. Oh, I was so lonely. This is why I drank. Oh, boy, it sure made me feel better. You know, there was great joy and happiness when uh, when I was um, when I was experiencing uh alcohol it just kind of changed everything for me and um yet here's a tombstone 
of somebody who uh, that very thing did amend. And, you know, that's, that's my story. I need to hear the stories of people on A Vision for You. I need to be reminded day to day what my problem is and what my solution is. I need to identify in with Bill. I need to know that I have the allergy of the body, the obsession of my mind, of the mind. It's so important that we understand our story and that we're able to share our story. I know that when I had a bad relapse, but my brain was so fogged. I'm like, I don't have to go to the hospital. I'm not a drug addict or an alcoholic. My brain was so fog my husband gave me a letter that said you've taken on a new lover which is food and maybe it's best if we just separate we can live in the same house I didn't even know till I found that letter uh, lately and now as a recovered person my brain is cleared so please hang in there keep keep listening I pass and thank you Elaine B and our final share this morning will be Barbara E thank you can you hear me I sure can. Oh, great. I'll have what they're having. Everything they said was so eloquent and so me. I was always thinking, I'm okay again. I'm down to a normal weight. I can eat again like everyone else. I could not heed the ominous warnings. And the ominous warnings went way back to when I was a childhood and I had to go to the Chubbet section of the store. The ominous warnings didn't stop me from eating over and over again. The warnings of, do- of doctors telling me that I needed surgery, that my eyes were going bad, that I would develop diabetes. Nothing stopped me. I'd go to a different program, I'd lose the weight, and immediately gain it back again. I had to identify in with the problem before I could ever get to the solution. I did not have the dysfunctional family that that um, Bill had. I was not a product of divorce. I did not have two parents who were alcoholics, but that feeling of inferiority always dogged me. So I tried to mask it with superiority, but I never felt that. I was eating to fill the hole in my soul, and I had to keep eating more and more and more to fill it. The only thing that would work for me was when I identified the problem, the solution, and I, as everyone has said, identified in. That phrase, watch your pints and quarts, now we say, Watch your P's and Q's. That's where it comes from. I didn't know that before today. I learn something on these meetings every single day about myself and my journey. Thank you. I pass. And thank you, Barbara E. So we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And will Ashley P. please read a vision for you? Our book is meant to be suggestive only through Keep You Until Then. Hi, this is Ashley P., recovered in Northern California. Um, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. 
This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Abandon, admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you 